and this is the Cannon Cast. Hey guys, thanks for joining us once again. It's the Canon Cast. I'll be back once again. It's a dynamic duo as always. Myself with Mahit Gamaj. Mahit, how are you, man? Oh, I'm doing okay. I uh, today's game was was really a, a, a strange one, I, I guess you could say, because you know we were all so excited to see you know the Cup team again because they've been so great all year. You know, against Standard Liège, against Nottingham Forest, against Frankfurt, we were really good, exciting, seeing the youngsters start, and then it kind of just went the same way that uh, the the Premier League teams been playing, which is kind of what we were hoping not to see in mean, some yeah. really dire football, but uh, eventually, yeah. end, of course, it did work out. Yeah, so we could, you know, start at the beginning, start at the lineup. Is there, like, any, like, standout questions or anything like that you have from the 11 today? Uh, you know what? It was pretty much what I was expecting. You know, obviously, everybody was breaking up. Uh, Ozil not being in the 11, but I think at this point, it's more of a surprise if he is in the 11 than if he's not. But, you know, other than that, I think it is pretty much what I was expecting. Um, you know, maybe I originally probably would have expected Reese Nelson instead of Maitland-Niles, but of course I think he's injured, so yeah, uh, out of the question. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think there's anything else we could change. But, you know, if you look at the lineup from um, the, the game on Monday versus now, uh, a lot of the back line that was starting against Vitoria, I would, I would have preferred to see on Monday and then obviously swap it around because at some point you're going to have to put Bayerine, Holding, and Tierney into the Premier League starting 11. But right now I feel like they're struggling to find a way to swap the two sets of defenders, if you yeah. know what I mean. Because yeah, there hasn't what... been really a big gap, and other than the international break, but I feel like that might have been a little bit too early for some of them. Yeah, so... I, I agree most with what you said. Um, I think with like the whole Ozil dilemma right now, um, it was one of gonna blog or Charles Watt said that, you know, in reality, um, and reason I kind of know in situation with this, as in, if he puts him into the lineup and he draw, he has you know a ten out of ten performance, then it puts even more pressure on him to continuously be playing Ozil, you know, whether or not mm-hmm. he's playing well or not, and. Then now that creates an even bigger headache for himself. But then if he keeps leaving them out, there's always questions if we don't win. And the only real solution for Emery, because he is between a rock and a hard place with this whole, you know, feud that's slightly developing here, is that if we start to win convincingly, which, Mm -hmm. you know, just like seems one of the furthest things from reality at the moment. Um, Other than that, from the lineup, um, I I agree with what you said. I do believe that, unfortunately, there will have to come a point where they play... You know, kind of back-to-back games in our sons, you know, you know, uh, Thursday to Sunday, and then mm-hmm. we can rotate from there. Um, yeah, I think for me, uh, not to jump too far ahead into talking about Crystal Palace, but I, I think Tierney could be one that we could see double up on games. So I'm seeing him probably start on on Monday, but then a lot of us thought it was possible. Sorry, on Sunday, but a lot of us thought it was possible for him to start Monday going as well. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, those things are just things you have to wait and see. Um, other than that, you know, no big surprises. I was glad Lacazette started. I think this was a good exercise for him to get some fitness out there. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't really have the most creative of yeah. players on the field with him. I mm-hmm. don't like Smetro playing um, on the right, which he did on for a big part of the second half. I think he's less influential there, and I thought he would have been better in the midfield than he was today. Um, other than that, Martinelli seems more like a goal scorer than really a creator. Maitland-Niles mm-hmm. really looks like he has no real position anyway on the field at this moment in time. And mm-hmm. in an extreme weird setup, Torreira was playing higher than Willock, which mm-hmm. I really, really didn't understand, you know? On the last yeah. podcast, um, and you know, I'm, I know I'm talking a lot here, and you'll you'll come in just now. But on the last <laughs> podcast we had with Elliot, you know, we spoke about what kind of player Willock could be. We said a potential Ramsey replacement, a kind of second striker player that we put we potentially have in there. You don't put him at the base of your midfield, you know. He's not that controlling presence, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's just another one of the list of things we could add to the list of stuff that has been puzzling from Unai Emery this season, you know. Yeah, it's it's you know it's a case of common sense because <clears throat> I think everybody knows what type of player Torreira is, and now we're starting to know what kind of player Willock is. And you know, Willock in a in a, a, a double pivot in midfield isn't really what we think of him as. You know, being able to perform in and Torreira kind of similar, except we think of him as playing at the base of midfield and him in in a, in a two, you know, p- pushing up against the opposition every time you know. If there's a ball carry in midfield on Vitoria, it was Torreira who was pushing up and pressing them, and he was, you know, completely out of position because of that. And really, it just doesn't make any sense because, like, if it worked and if it was, like, you know, working, if the team was getting results, if Torreira was, was doing okay, then I don't think there would be any problem with him playing this kind of role, but he's not particularly good at it, and it's not really helping the team a lot. So I really do not understand it, like, whatsoever and I'm surprised that it's you know gone on for this long because it's pretty obvious that you know this isn't really a, a thing that we should be doing yeah um unfortunately this game has really bucked the trend per se of how the cup games were much more entertaining and we fell behind twice in this game our first goal it was I guess written in the stars for the former Spurs Academy product to yeah. video one to open the score and when we look back on the goal I Tierney was, you know, at, I would say at, at some fault, but you know, we come back to Unai's instructions to these players, you know. Um, and where I'm going with this is that you highlighted, you know, where's the defensive midfielder tracking the midfield runners, and mm-hmm. there was no one. Now, we, yeah. we, we always speak about that Torreira is supposed to be that presence, but we've just uh, reiterated that Willock was the deepest. Willock isn't going to be the one to track a runner like that. And it comes mm-hmm. back to the instructions that, you know, Una is impressing upon these young players. And, you know, just sort of total confusion. And with Marcus Edwards actually having a relatively good finish, you know. It wasn't actually mm-hmm. the most easiest of chances, but it was a good finish. Yeah. And, yeah, what was, what was your take on it? Yeah, you know, it's it was, like you said, it was written in the stars, you know. <laughs> Once he got the ball in that position, you kind of figured that he would be putting that in the back of the net. But, you know, I'm just glad we kind of didn't... Uh, allow that to define the game and we ended up coming back to win 
because if 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 it ended one nil or, or two one, you know that Marcus Edwards goal would have been the talk of the town. But you know, obviously now it's because of Pepe coming on and scoring twice. That's what everybody's focusing on. That's what everybody's talking about, not what Marcus Edwards did. But yeah, you know, I think it was really obvious that there was a complete disconnect there between the the defense and midfield, and it's strange because normally. When we think of Arsenal, we think of their, you know, as in lately, when, when we've seen when I am race team over the last year, it's been kind of a disconnect between the midfield and the attack. But, you know, for that first half today, it was the opposite. It was the defense in the midfield. So, yeah, you know, I was a little bit disappointed, but it, it did kind of get a little bit better once the substitutions came into play. And, yeah, I'm just glad that, you know, that Marcus Edwards goal wasn't what defined the game in the end. And then now, you know, we move on to the second goal that we conceded. Um, you know, we have for like such a long period of time spoken about one of um Maitland's strengths that could turn a flaw very quickly is how overly casual he can be on the ball. However, I do more accredit the fault in this goal conceded to Terrera. I think he, he actually gave me the lines in the bo- a pass in a extremely dangerous position, a position where it was very high f- chance for a turnover. And, you know, Maitland Ice really isn't going through the best patch of form at the moment and put him under pressure in an area that they really shouldn't have with only just, I believe, two players or one player behind them at the moment in time. And the ball came off the post and then the rebound was put away. Um, where do you think was the, was the major flaw? Do you think it was Maitland Ice or do you see where I'm coming from with the Torreira pass or, you know? Uh... <sighs> You know, I think you do have to put the blame on Maitland-Niles. I can see what you mean by Terrera, and, you know, I'm not a fan of his passing or anything like that because I think that's a part of his game that's really, really lacking. And, you know, while everybody's saying play him at the base of midfield, you know, and he offers a bit of protection for the center backs, his passing is really the poorest part of his game at the moment, at least, and it has been for the last six, seven months or so. And I think that is the reason why Emery hasn't been playing him as the deepest midfielder. But, yeah, you know, Maitland-Niles, you know, I think a proper, proper midfielder keeps that ball tight and, you know, takes that ball, you know, kind of just sucks in that ball rather than taking a heavy touch with his right foot. And, you know, Maitland-Niles has been crying out to play midfield for a long time and he got into a position there where he was playing technically in the, in the center of the pitch at that moment at least and he took a bad touch, a touch that a midfielder should be taking a lot better and, you know, he got punished for it. So I, I do think most of the blame has to be on Maitland-Niles, but I definitely see what you mean that uh, Torreira could have done better. And keeping on the, you know, trend of midfielders, I I really think that we are coming to some very decisive points in Maitland's career of what he is to Arsenal Football Club. You know, I think at, at best it really would be him being this utility player, just kind of filling in wherever we have a little injury or backup is needed in cups. Um, there were shouts for about two years ago when he had the man of the match performance against... Manchester yeah. United. Yeah, yeah, it was United. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, since then the, the cries have dimmered. He has flickered now and again at right back. Um, scored a couple of goals and assisted here and there in the cups. And I just, I, I really don't. I think there is a ceiling for him at what he can achieve in Arsenal in terms of uh, meaningful minutes on the pitch. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, you know, I don't think he's good enough to play, you know, right wing at Arsenal. I don't think he's good enough to play no. central midfield at Arsenal. But yeah. I think he could be good enough. 
to rotate in at right back at Arsenal. And, you know, while I, I, Bayerian's better, but Maitland-Niles has come up, you know, big for us in that position over the last year and a half or so, just filling in and playing well here and but, there. Um, my, my problem with, with him there, mate, is that I, I don't see the commitment from him to being all right back. Like, yeah. I, and, and I, what I say is not commitment into jumping into tackles or anything like that, but commitment to learn any position and develop any skills that mm-hmm. require to be in position. Because we know yeah. he has the technical ability to be a modern right back. He has the physical ability. But in terms of the mental capacity to stay focused, yeah. stay switched on, we don't see that development. And he's been playing there for the best part of this year consistently. Bellerino only been back, what, uh, a month now, a month and a half, played three games. He's been there the entire year. That's what, about 30 games he's gotten in that position. Um, the progress has been minimal at best, you know. He had a great, great, great opening game against Newcastle. But then since then, it's been downhill. It's really been downhill, you know. Yeah, so, okay, so Maitland now is a 22, and he just turned 22. Um, and, you know, now, you know, he doesn't have a position, like you said, and he's got to find one. So if I'm Arsenal's coaching staff, I'm saying, okay, Ainsley, uh, we want you to play right back and then fill in in midfield and maybe wing whenever we get the chance to put you there, which is not going to be often. Either you say yes to this or we're going to have to move you on because yeah. there's no place for him other than at right back right now. Yeah. And if he's not going to commit to it, then there's no point keeping him around as a player who's just going to drift around the eleven playing in random cup games and random positions because that's mm-hmm. not what we want. And that's no, not really okay for his career either. So, yeah, I think they've got to say, you know, be a right back and occasionally play elsewhere or, you know, we're going to have to shift you on because, you know, he's not going to start over Bayerin. Bayerin's a better player and he's not going to start over Pepe, obviously, at right wing and he's not going to start over Guendouzi or, or anybody really in midfield either. So, you know, I think that's, it. you know, because he is out of the academy, you kind of yeah, lean towards sports. him. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. But also, you know, what are the chances that all these guys are going to make it right, you know? Yep. We're not going to see Nelson, Saka, um, Smithrow, and these guys all in the starting 11 down the line for the next 10 years. You know, some of these guys uh, we're going to have to sell on. And I think, you know, it's getting increasingly likely that, you know, Ainsley is going to be one of those. Yeah, and just staying in midfield, um, in the press so before this game, when I we spoke about how we were chasing, you know, Fabinho, I was using him as a parallel as to how Pepe could, you know, adjust in the league. And, I know we will dedicate a big part of this show to talking about how good Pepe was when he came on, even today and even on, on Monday. Um, but I think that gives people a bit of an answer of why Xhaka has continued to start at the base of midfield. You know, he openly explained that a tall, physical, um, strong player at the base of midfield is what he was, or what the cl- he asked the club to look for last year in the transfer window. They did get that. What they ended up getting was Lucas Serrera. He tried it. He wasn't impressed by it. And decided to go back to Xhaka now. Where now we have Xhaka playing the defense in midfield. And we see any problems in it. Um, I think now we are coming to a point where... Now, I mean... I just said we're coming to a point. I feel like there are so many different breaking points we are coming to as a club right now. In terms of Emery, Ozil... And what I was going to say is Torreira. You know, because... How we are utilizing Terra right now, I I don't see it, it working out at all. I don't see his skill set being used properly, and we aren't producing on the. I mean, okay, we already knew we weren't producing on the field, but 
he's not contributing anything meaningful when he is on the pitch in this role, you know? And I I, I want to know, where do you see the future for Torreira right now? Or at least from now till January, pussy, you know? From now till January, I don't see anything changing for him. I think he's going to keep riding the bench in Premier League games and in these types of Europa League games and Cup games. I think he's going to keep playing this kind of weird box-to-box pressing midfielder type of role because I don't see it changing anytime soon. But yeah, I am surprised that, that Emery didn't like Torreira at the base of midfield because I think last season, in the first half of the year, he played really well there. Uh, you think of the game against Spurs, the game against uh, even Liverpool. You know, he played well. And he really made a difference for us. But then he kind of fell off in the second half of the season. And obviously his passing isn't very good. And it's not kind of the, the progressive, you know, um, unique type of passing range that, that maybe Emery wants in his team. But, you know, I, I don't see much changing for Torreira soon. But I think under potentially a new manager next season, potentially, I think he can uh, make that starting spot his own at the base of midfield. But I, I really don't see it happening uh, under Emery anytime soon. You see... Uh... With all about eight midfielders we have in the club right now, I really do think what could be the best solution is to stop playing a three-man midfield, but play a two-on-a-one, and mm-hmm. let Gwen. Well, because he's the most informed midfielder we have at the moment, is Matteo Guendouzi came on to really help change the dyma- dynamic of the game. Um, yeah, let him play at you know the base and have Torreira just covering in and around him. Kind of similar yeah. to what Chelsea are doing right now with Kante and Jorginho. Um, mm-hmm. And have Matu, um, Matteo Guendouzi be the metronome, the conductor of the team. And let her be the sweeping presence in the midfield. But then now that comes to the problem where, you know, we need a more number 10 player in the lineup where that seems to be a very um, edgy topic for Unai Emery. Yeah, it's weird because Una Emery was well known for preferring a 4-2-3-1 exactly. with Valencia, with Sevilla, and even at the start against PSG. But now, uh, you know, he has one of the best 10s, you know, technically of all time in, in Ozil, and he's not really starting him. So it's really weird. And, you know, he has gone with the 4-2-3-1 occasionally, but... But me, I yeah. think that's why, though. I think if it was any other player besides Ozil, he would have been willing to switch. But none of the other players are a lot. No, no. And I'm really not trying to get into the whole aspect that there is some actual beef between them. But yeah. more from the concept that he he can't afford for what I said earlier for his reputation to use Ozil. So right. therefore, from the players he has, the uh, in essence on paper more suited to a four-three-three. But we aren't getting any most of this team. I would argue that our worst part of this team at the moment would be our midfield, like even worse than our defence. Because I think mm-hmm. our defence would face a ton less pressure if our midfield was structured a lot better in terms of yeah. retaining the ball, in terms of being a lot more progressive, and even being better in terms of covering the defence. You know, we have nobody really covering the defence. We saw it today. We saw it to some extent against Sheffield. You know, Sheffield were a lot more of get one and then sit back. But we saw it against Manchester United. We saw it against uh, we saw it against Bournemouth in the second half. And we keep seeing these gaps in the midfield, and you'll even expose somebody more vulnerable players in your team. And obviously, at some points, we'll get exposed with, you know. Um, so I guess you know we could you know be happy, talk about some more positive stuff. I really do <laughs> think that there has been a a difference in his mentality and mood since the international break in Nicolas Pepe. Um, I know 
and, and for the right reasons, it could have been a completely different game if he puts in the chance that he wasted from six yards out. But his entire game of heat, I was really impressed by. It was a, you know, we already knew he had the dribbling ability, but the way he was progressing the ball, the way he was running that play, you, you saw the determination from him. And I mean, the goal would have been a mood changer. But even today, he comes on and you feel that, that you know, he's finally in a position in terms of him being settled in England, at least hopefully, to be willing to shoulder the burden of understanding, OK, I'm the guy. I'm the main guy to carry the team forward. Or boy, is the guy to finish but I'm the guy to carry us there for him to finish, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's kind of about time for him to start taking a bigger role in the first team because he's been kind of uh, inconsistent so far, which is understandable, you know. It's a, it's a tough switch from the French League to, to the Premier League, but... Yeah, you know, he's got a big price tag. He's a good player. He knows what he can do. The team knows what he can do. The fans know what he can do. And I think his celebrations today said it all. You know, there wasn't a celebration. And, yeah, you know, I I do really hope that, that this is him kind of just springboarding to what we know he can be for the rest of the season. And uh, What I'm, I'm hoping is that, you know, to really, 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 really help build on this performance is that he really scores against Crystal Palace. Because I think for him to score not just back to back, but to score in the Premier League, especially from open play, would just yeah. you know just be like this huge weight. And I feel like progressively, very slowly, but progressively, you're seeing him adjusting the league. Because I think he was actually our best player against Bournemouth as well, which is really yeah, yeah. surprising why you know he's got the takeoff against Bournemouth, was taken off against Sheffield. I mean, that decision against Sheffield really, really blew my mind. I really love what Saka is, and I think he was really poor on the night. It was unfortunate to get the, the book in for what... I didn't think it was a dive. It, was, it wasn't a fall, but it was just, you know, contact, you know. I guess what, though. Yeah. And I think he was unfortunate to be taken off that night. And he's been, he's been getting there where he could finally hold his head to his price down. And, you know, stand mm-hmm. up and be there. A lot of people have been comparing him in terms of his technical ability to Ozil and uh, the way he, you know, kind of handles the ball. And yeah. in in a perfect world where everybody's on form and whatever and whatever, it would have been really nice to see him combine with Ozil. However, the way things are right mm-hmm. now, I don't really see that happening. Yeah. Um, I think there were a lot of questions coming out of last season when Emery finally caved to Ozil and started playing him back and I don't think he wants to go through it again. And I generally do think that while he's still at the club, we won't see Ozil until he leaves. Uh, mm-hmm. And Ozil seems extremely determined to be here until at least 2020. So, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's just weird because at one point, Emery was playing Ozil, even last season. And then earlier this season, he got a start or two and... You know, it looked as if he would be playing a bit part role in the team. He'd start a game here and there, come off the bench here and there, and then he kind of just fell off the the map completely for some reason. I feel like there has to be a reason for that. You know, that just doesn't just happen, right? I mean, you don't just completely drop a player and then, you know, the fans never see him again. Something definitely happened because he started against Watford in that game. Uh, He came off the bench a couple times as well, and he started, I think, against Frankfurt and... It wasn't yeah. Frankfurt. It was um. It was Nottingham Forest. Right, that was a game. Yeah, yeah. he captained the team in that game as well. Um, and 
Also, going back to Pepe, I think a lot of people forgot that his performance against Liverpool was really, really good. Yeah. He made a difference for us in that game. And, you know, he didn't score. He should have scored. He didn't score, just like against, uh, against Sheffield United. But, you know, the performances have been there from him. It's yeah. just the goals that, that, you know, are really what we've been waiting for. And, you know, yeah. You know, I, I do think it's when he scores those goals from open play, like you said, the floodgates will hopefully just you know burst open yeah and it's not like it's wishful thinking you know like in the case of you know it's easy to compare to bring up Jovino with him you know similar moves same country whatever but it doesn't it, it, it feels like if he's just you know gently pushing against you know just gently pushing 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 yeah. and just wants the luck to come off and it's just gonna go off you know whereas you know Jovino wasn't as cultured on the ball then how the same you know kind of finesse when he handles the dribble like and stuff. Um, for those who, you know, who kind of like stats, um, I use for score a lot. And they have um, Nicolas Pepe is rated for this season at 7.53. I mean, that's pretty high for somebody who hasn't scored from mm-hmm. a player yet, you know? Yeah. But there are the stats that people just choose to ignore. He has the most dribbles completed in the league. He has the most assists of any player for Arsenal this season. And mm-hmm. he's been a lot better than people wanted to give him credit for just because... Uh, you know, Dan James is, is scoring three or four goals for United so far. Um, yeah. Pulisic at Chelsea is doing something. Uh, I was going to be <laughs> sure. I, I mean, he barely plays sometimes. But, yeah. you know, you get where I'm coming from. Um, so, another player who scored in this game, yeah, you know, it wasn't actually Pepe alone, it was Martinelli. And I actually think mm-hmm. for most of the game, he had a kind of quiet game. Uh, but mm-hmm. popped up with the goal. And, you know, in the last podcast, again, with Elliot, we spoke about potentially you could start on the left-hand side. And I think after four starts in the Premier League, um, and they were all rough games, but I think, like, you know, all Arsenal games are just going to be rough this season on the Emery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably time we probably try Martinelli from the start on the left wing against Crystal Palace. Yeah, you know, I, I um, what I like about Martinelli and what he brings is that he can actually win headers and he's actually really good at, at winning headers which isn't something you normally see from a player so young and yeah. you know Aubameyang can't do that Lacazette can't do that but Martinelli can and that adds a whole new dimension especially with Tierney and Bayern coming back especially Tierney because Tierney can cross really well in the air Hector's more of a cutback kind of guy he's excelled at that but yeah you can see in every game Tierney plays he can whip in those balls really nicely and I don't think Aubameyang's gonna really take advantage of that fully and I don't think Lacazette is either so you know if we have Martinelli in the team even you know I like him coming off the bench as well because he adds that you know we haven't really had that aspect the aerial prowess up front since Giroud and if Martinelli has that then he's going to be an asset for us in 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 games like late on in games when we need a goal and yeah you know I think it would be nice to see him start because I think he's earned it for all of his performances you know he scored in all three starts he's made this season Five goals and one assist in three starts is ridiculous. Even you know, even though it's been in Europa League and the Carabao Cup, he is eighteen and he's you know straight out of Brazil. So yeah, I, I would love to see him start soon because it's not as if Bukayo Saka has been tearing it up and you know dominating the left wing and and securing a role because he's he's pretty vulnerable right now too in that role. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's not like it's it's a indictment on on what. Saka has been so far. He hasn't been bad. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, the flip side, you know, we kind of just, just kind of hope for any glimpse of hope and the weight of expectation of any minor changes in the lineup. You know, that one player is now being expected to 
to bring everything with him. If you understand where I'm coming from, you know, like, yeah. like for example, if we put out the exact same lineup from Monday going against Crystal Palace with the one change of TNE, we're gonna expect him to get like three assists. Like that, that that's mm-hmm. just kind of where the club is right now, where we just kind of yeah. just grasping at straws about what could happen, you know. Yeah. Um, so just to go a little further back again, Sheffield. Um, coming out of that game, there was intense calls for Unai's head. And there was some even tonight still, despite the win, which I think was understandable because I think for like the majority of this game, it was so poor. In a game where we had, I I just had it up here, that's all. Um, in a game where we had 60, 66% possession, mm-hmm. we we had less shots than them at 15 to 17. And that's, <laughs> that was, yeah, that, that's crazy, though. Know? And where, like, on a scale of 1 to 10 from where, one is being not safe, could get fired tomorrow, and then 10, fully secure, he doesn't have nothing to worry about. Where do you think he lies right now in terms of safety for his job? Oh, I think it's a lot closer to being safe than people think. I think yeah. it's around a 6 or a 7, because I think yeah. the club invested a lot into him, and I think they put a lot of faith in him, albeit a little bit foolishly. But I think the club, you know, the way that you heard even Gazidis when he got hired, the way he talked about him, the way you heard uh, Raul and, and um, uh, what's the name of the, the other CEO? I forget his name. Um, the contract guy. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking. Well, there's Raul Vinaya. And, um... Yeah, Vinaya is one of them. Okay. Yeah, I always forget his name. Yeah, uh, yeah no, the, the contract guy is Hus, Hus Fami, right? Yeah. Yes. And, yes. Um, so those guys have been talking really highly of, of Emery, you know, throughout. Uh, the last year, Gazidis did it, um, and I think the club has put a lot of faith in Emery. They've given him money to spend. You know, they they broke the club record signing under him and Pepe. Um, and yeah, I think they just they put too much faith into him to just throw him out. You know, whenever things get slightly well, bad, so I think he's pretty safe for now. But if things keep going like this, then he could definitely be around a five or four by Christmas. So I I have a minor considering what you're saying in that I actually think that they are building the team that they want Arsenal to be in terms of the personnel and hoping that Emery could get the most out of those given players and until the point where he can't then we could see him pathways whether it be now or at the end of the season for example mm-hmm. right I'm pretty sure last season Fabinho and I mean at this moment in time I can't really think of anybody but they have scouting networks I'm pretty sure Fabinho wasn't the only tall, physical, imposing defensive match it had available on the market, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah. they opted for Torreira. They went for Torreira yeah. because they were seeing that as the style of defensive midfield that they wanted. And yeah. then we look at, you know, some other players, you know, Ceballos isn't Bonega, just as a rough example of yeah. what the Emery uses as a 10, you know, just, you know, yeah. somebody from his history. And <laughs> I, I think that the club are building the players that they want for like the next Arsenal manager or the next Arsenal yeah. phase to be in terms of style of play, types of players, the personalities we want. And yeah. hoping that at Emery's most that he can get all of these players, even if it's 50-60% of what they are capable of, that that 50-60% is enough to get us top four or at worst win the Europa League. And get us back in the Champions League, we can move on from him, get a more progressive manager. And we yeah. are in a much more right position 
for that manager now to have the turned over squad to turn us into actual top four cemented place. Um, I'm projecting down the line here. I'm not talking about like immediately next year, but like pro- it's like cemented in the top four, like how Liverpool and City are basically at this point, and hopefully charging for titles mm. in three, four years down the line, you know. Um, yeah. but for me, on a scale of one to ten, where one being um, he could be on the ropes, I, I do have it at about a five reason being um, the team that puts him into the job he's in now, only one person remains. And that's just Raul. Now they have the Spanish connection, so I'm not sure like how much that means for anything. But then I watch where Raul comes from, from Barcelona, where the expectations are so high that if a manager yeah. isn't you know doing enough, they they cut him, get a new yeah. one, and they go again. And I I really wonder how much, given the power that you know Raul has at the club right now, you know how much his his patience would be to allow. You know, a really golden opportunity this season. You know, Manchester United are filthy rich. At some point, somebody will figure out how to use money to fix them and get them yeah. back where they're supposed to be. You know, yeah. Spurs have phenomenal players that are just going through a rough patch right now. And for all we know, when they catch back our form, if we aren't far enough ahead, they can you know, surpass us. Then there's Chelsea, mm-hmm. who people thought were going to be bad this year, uh, above us right now. And there's Leicester City as well. But this is the best chance we have right now to make the top four as compared to the last yeah. two years. And in terms of... I know I'm rambling again. But, you know, <laughs> in, in terms of games that we have potentially to win, uh, we don't face a top six opponent until, I, I think, at the beginning of December or mid-December mm-hmm. or something like that. I really wonder how much the club would be willing to allow him to waste these chances of getting three points in order to see if he gets better or rather to sack him and, you know, get somebody else out there, you know? Yeah, you know, I hope you're right in in the sense that uh, the club just kind of sees him as a stepping stone manager rather than somebody, you know, to keep in the long term. Uh, I'm not fully convinced that that's what they think. You know, it's still kind of worrying to me. Uh, the the amount of faith that they put into him and and I think that there's still a possibility that the club sees him as a long term guy even though you know it's strange because what we see on the pitch isn't great and the club is obviously watching I mean the guys like Vinay and Raul are watching every game and they're going to be seeing what we're seeing so you know there's that aspect where that they obviously see that there isn't much progress on the pitch and you know um, we, not not just them are watching no no we watch that you know Josh Carl he's even more involved now that they right, yeah. are in total control. What could they think? They finally have, even though it's it's minor, they have some fan sentiment in the Crunkies, you know, hands right now after they went out and, well, you know, well, they are part of it. They went out and got Pepe for, for you know, the Aston fan, the Aston club. Yeah. You know, there is some sentiment with them right now. How could they feel where it reflects back on them how long they are willing to allow Emery to stay in the managerial position if he isn't getting, you know, the points required at this level? Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I like what Josh Kroenke has done so far. You know, he's he's had a bigger role in the last uh, six months to one year. And I think he, he's a guy who knows what he wants. And that interview he did in the in the summer transfer window was great. And, he, you know, he did he wasn't just, just talking out of his ass, you know. We went out and we signed Pepe after that. And, and we brought in Ceballos as well. And I do think that Josh Kroenke has a good vision for the club. And, and I hope you're right. I hope he, you know, understands football enough to know that this isn't what we want and this isn't really moving forward at the moment but yeah as for the the games you know we don't play a top six side for a while 
but we've got some tough games coming up. I mean, even um, you know, Crystal Palace is 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 not an easy team to play. Wolves is going to be difficult, and we play Leicester away from home, which is a death wish at the moment with the way they're playing. And you know, we're not even in top four right now. And... You know what? Honestly, Mahid, my honest thoughts about these four, this, excuse these three games going forward is four points at best. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. genuinely think so. I think if we're lucky, we draw at with Wolves at home. We should have enough to beat Palace. I do think Palace have been punching above their weight a bit, <laughs> but yeah. I don't see us going to less than one in. Not for one minute. I don't. I really don't. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, and that's why I think four points from nine, which would then be watched as four points from twelve when you include the Sheffield game. I <laughs> genuinely believe that's a sackable offense. I I do. I I. Those were the same three fixtures, Mahid, that cost us top four last year at the end of the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The same three opponents. In those three games, we conceded nine and scored three. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. And yeah. I don't think that he should be able to stay. I, and I don't want to be reactionary and sound like, you know, some little kid that's not getting his way or that I don't like his style or anything like that. But I think there's a certain expectation required at this level. And I do... Yes, I do believe that this might be too high for him. I do believe PSG might have been too high for him. At the end of the day, you're not going to give Madrid to Sam Allardyce and to um, Alan Pardew. They just have a level. And some mm-hmm. some managers' level is the Everton level, the West Ham level, the, the Sevilla, with, with all due respect to where their clubs are and what they want to be. But there's just a level. And at a level where you are expected to be the protagonist and to play the progressive football, I'm just not sure if he's just... It's just not in his capability. Whereas he's just suited to be the underdog at the severe level, at the West Ham level, mm-hmm. where you be the counter-attacking side, you know? Yeah, no, he's he's definitely not. You know, Arsenal is too big a job for him. PSG is way too big a job for him. And to, to be fair, PSG is a big job for 99.9% of managers out there. But, you know, Emery, even at this level, he can't cut it. You know, he's not good enough. And I think... You know, a lot of people saw his time at Sevilla and they're thinking, wow, he won three Europa Leagues in a row, you know, and he beat, you know, Liverpool in a, in a final one year as well. But if you look at their league finishes, it's fifth, fifth, and seventh, and they didn't win a single away game in one of those years. Yep. You, know, you have to look at that because cup football is, you know, while the Champions League is the biggest tournament in, in, the, in club football, league football is, is much more difficult because you have to be consistent. And, you know, even if you're lucky, you have to be good to win the title whereas Champions League you know you can get some luck and, and move to the next round and you can get some luck in a one-off final and 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 win the trophy but his league finishes at Sevilla were awful he did poorly at um at uh, Spartak Moscow even at Valencia before that he had you know David Villa David Silva Juan Mata and he did poorly with them um, I, I, well, he didn't do poorly with like technically with them, but he didn't improve them during his time there. That's the one thing. He had no history of improving teams whatsoever, and Arsenal still went for him to try and improve this team, and he's not improving the team right now. And I'm not surprised whatsoever because I knew this before he got hired. And if you look back at my tweets, there's a lot of tweets from me um, from Emery's time at PSG where I was just slating him, saying, why did they hire this guy? His in-game management's terrible. He can't improve teams. They're not going anywhere under him. And then we hired him, and I was thinking, like, oh, my God. Because, you know, it, it, I thought it was so obvious that this guy is not going to take us anywhere. 
But, um, you know, he did say the right things in his press conferences and everything like that. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's nothing more than an Everton-Sevilla-level um, manager, pretty much. And it, it is so... I mean, I know it sounds like if we're being so disrespectful and harsh to him, but I just genuinely believe that the Ateas, you know, levels, so what managers are, you know, you're not going to give certain managers certain levels because their style of play isn't just conducive to what is expected at a certain level and what can be done with certain level of players, you know. And mm-hmm. I... Oh, my God. Um, so, I do think that the club would be well within their rights if at the end of this three game, these three, three Premier League games... If we have only four points, I do think that's a sackable offense. Mm-hmm. Me too, I think yeah. I think that is enough to consider underperforming given what he has. Um I I will say that I from the get go was supportive of him because I just I believe you know when you're at Arsenal and for the ninety minutes on the pitch, I'm willing to see the best out of anybody, not just the manager, but the players too, you know. Mm-hmm. And because at the end, of the, you know, we want to win. We want we want to see the best for our club. But I just don't think there's sufficient evidence to provide that things are going to improve. Like I was like one of my friends was telling me that I'm too harsh on Emery, and I said, look at Pep. And I know Pep. Yes, he's an, a manager in a different stratosphere compared mm-hmm. to Emery, right? But I I was saying, look at Pep and look at his full season in the Premier League when he finished fourth. Now when you watch that season, right? He had Sangna mm-hmm. right back, um, Kolarov left back, uh, Krishi. and Krishi. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they paid for They paid for not having good enough fullbacks. They paid for not good, having good enough defenders. And mm-hmm. you, But you saw the style of play there and you understood, okay, if he fixes X, Y, and Z position with an mm-hmm. A, B, C quality player, you can see they're going from just finishing fourth to being title challengers. And now what we are seeing as potential back-to-back-to-back you know, um, title winners. Yeah. You don't see, okay, that if you fix here with Emery and you fix there with Emery, we have a tough one team. You don't see that. We see mm-hmm. every single position on the field looking like it needs work. The attack is mm-hmm. disjointed. The midfield connects nothing. The defense is as open as it has ever been. It's been defensively record. We are worse than under Arsene Wenger. And by no means, mm-hmm. I think we should have kept Wenger. I do believe that we spent too long in getting rid of, yes, arguably the greatest, greatest manager in our history. But we concede more shots, we concede more goals, we have way less clean sheets. I think, I, I think, you know, Leno had what fifty-two goals conceded or some shot for the side out to the league. <laughs> like that, yeah. that's and it's not even like it's not like we have dummies in the back line, you know. Yeah. I know Socrates was in a decline since last year, but he was decent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he was okay, even in his walking on one leg. Yeah. Montreal was decent. Um, yeah. Bellerin was good until he got... Well, I mean, he's always good. But then he got injured. And then Maitland was okay. We have decent-ish mm-hmm. players to be doing better than what we are. I yeah. think Leno generally saves so much points for us that people don't realize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the poor guy gets pelted every single game. Like he, he literally, against oh. any team, any team that comes up against us, is getting at least 10 shots every single game, whether it's home or away. And that's really, really awful. And, and I, I, I know what you're saying because we, we are, you know, if you put our, the, our defense, you know, in, alongside 
Spurs' defense is not as good. Even against Man U's no. defense, it's not no, as good. No, it's not. It's but not. it's still good enough to not be conceding 17 shots to, to Sheffield, 25 shots to Watford. I think Watford got 30 shots, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, it was 30. Yeah, it was yeah see, it's, it's, it's not good, but it's good enough to not be that bad, if you know what I'm saying. And just to interject before you continue, at the point of the Watford game, we had 95 shots faced on us that season. More than at that point in the season, sorry, more than any other team in the top five leagues. So you mm-hmm. telling me that um Hertha Berlin that is fighting relegation in Germany considered less <laughs> shots than us? That is, no, I mean, I know it, 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 it is hysterical, but it is mm-hmm. crazy. It's it's yeah. maddening, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very difficult stat to wrap your head around, and I think that is exactly the point that you can see and, 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 and know that Emery's not doing a good enough job because you brought up Pep and, and you're, you're right about that because you saw the style of play um, and you saw the players weren't there. But for Emery, you know, most of the players are there, you know, at, at least like for the level that, that Arsenal should be at, you know, yeah. to get to get top four, the team has the players to get top four right now because but the style of play isn't there. Because, uh, sorry, I know I, I, I talk real plenty, but... Um, <laughs> Imagine if, you know, and I, I know as Arsenal fans, we hear this. But imagine if Pochettino was managing these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that you know, he prefers a lot more hard-working players and players like, you know, Ozil and, you know, Aubameyang and that kind of stuff. But yeah. the ability to maximize potential out of, especially players that are bought in. And I do think these players want to buy in, but <laughs> I don't even think they understand what they try to buy into on the end. Yeah. Um, so to wrap up really quickly... One off the top of your head question. We fire every today, and you have 10 seconds to decide who you're hiring from players, from managers who are unemployed right now. Who do you hire? Freddie Youngberg till the end of the season, and if he does well, keep him permanently, and if he doesn't do well enough, then look in the market in the summer because it's going to be stronger market in the summer than it is right now. And I don't see many managers in the market right now that will come, you know, that can drastically change the team and and, you know, put the style of play in that we want to because there's Mourinho and there's Allegri, but they're kind of uh, Emery except better. And we don't want, you know, that kind of... I don't know how to explain it because they're both good managers. They're both proven managers, but I don't think they're exactly what we want right now, both Allegri and Mourinho. And I'm not convinced that they can do well with the players that we have at the club. So I prefer to have, you know, someone young, someone modern, someone like... A Freddie Youngberg or even Mikel Arteta, if we were able to get him just till the end of the season, which I don't think is really possible, but he's another option that that's you know is enticing for next summer. But yeah, you know, I think give it to Freddie for for the end of the season and then um, see how it goes next summer because I think there's gonna be better options. I would. Okay, so firstly, um, if he has, and I know, like, I want, I'm trying to find a way to say this without sounding insensitive. But if at any point that Lewis Enrique feels like he can't find his way back into management after mm-hmm. the passing of his daughter, yeah, I would jump at it. Like, literally yeah. jump at it. Um, mm-hmm. Besides him, yeah, I, I would go with Freddie as well to the end of the summer. And who likes to get relegated and August once gets fired. So we could get yeah. <laughs> yeah, him and Eric Tenhag at Ajax would be the oh two that I would... Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Okay, definitely last thing. Lineup for on Sunday. Ooh, my preferred lineup, or what I think it will be. Uh, you can do both real quickly. Both. Uh, okay. Well, 
I think it'll be Chambers at right back. Obviously, uh, burned and goal. I think it'll be the same defense, honestly. I think it'll be uh, Socrates, Luis, and, and Kolasinac and Chambers, just the way that nobody really wants it to be. But I think since we played you know, on the Thursday, I think it's a little bit too soon to start those guys on the Sunday. And then um, Gwenduzi, Xhaka, Ceballos, I think. And then Saka and Aubameyang and Pepe. You know, I'd prefer to see Martinelli. I'd probably like to see Willock again over Ceballos, but that's what I think it'll be. Okay. Um, I have faith that TNA will start. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it will happen. I do. Um, so I will go for the same back line with the exception of TNA. I actually talked mm-hmm. about it kind of a bit rusty. Um, yeah, not his he best, was, yeah. but, you know, he was okay. It's part of the process. Um, yeah, same midfield as you, and I think Saka will start, but I'm really hopeful Martinelli does. I do think there's a different dynamic yeah, for a right foot to cut in him, and then, you know, a quality left back over mm-hmm. three assists already for the season, you know? Cool. Yeah. It was nice, man. Thanks, you guys, always, for joining us. Please subscribe to us. We are now on Apple Podcasts, and we shall look out for us there, as well as Spotify and all your major podcast listening platforms. Thank you so much, as always, Mahit, for joining me. You can follow his blog at Free Flow Football, um, or Free Flow Blog. I, I always yeah, forget. it's at Free Flow Blog, yeah. Right? Free Flow Free Blog. Free Flow Blog, at, yeah. At Mahit Gamaj. Follow me at Cornerflower, so at John underscore STBL. Thank you guys for joining us. See you next time. Take it easy. Later.